welcome to the How Did You Get Here podcast, where we talk to inspirational people about their journey through life. Today, we are absolutely over the moon to have Jeff Cousins, who is the ex-managing director of Jaguar, the UK's luxury car manufacturer. Jeff, hello, welcome. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Great, yeah, great really to nice have to you see here. you. Yeah. Likewise, likewise. We haven't got a lot of time today, so we'll um, okay. we'll jump straight in if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So, Fire. perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about you, what you do, and what you're up to at the moment. Uh, okay, that's an interesting start. It's normally a life story in five <laughs> minutes, but uh, yeah, I've been in the automotive world my my whole life, effectively. Uh, and at this point in time, I'm uh, chairman of an automotive quality management group. Uh, within automotive and aerospace and a bit of defense as well. So we work with major companies and supply chains to help improve their quality. Uh, I'm also chairman of the uh, Q Leukemia charity based in Birmingham. Uh, and part of my role there as chairman is to help scale it up to a, a national charity. And it's all around um, accelerated drug trials. So it's it's a good thing to do, good thing for me to give back. And it's a good thing for, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in uh, 2005 and touch wood, uh, I've been over it for a while. So uh, you have empathy with, uh, with something like that. So I'm st- still very busy, but I'm, I'm in a good place in that I can choose who I want to work with and what I work on. Fantastic. Well, we're honoured to have you here in that case. No, no, so, um, yeah, Cure Leukemia, fantastic charity. Ho- hopefully we'll touch on that yeah. a little later. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your early career. So how did it all start? You left school, left education. What did it look like for you then? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I was, I've been asked by a number of universities to talk about my career, but after the first five minutes, you can see their face changes. I think <laughs> I wish we hadn't asked him because I absolutely had no career aspirations whatsoever uh my first job was in a, a steelworks someone steelworks in newport uh, where i'm from um and then i went to warwick university did my degree economics warwick university back to newport um and then frankly it sounds a bit bizarre but my girlfriend at the time was still at warwick university so i thought i'll get a job up around coventry area and i joined peugeot at the time with them two or three years and then joined Jaguar and I was at Jaguar stroke Jaguar Land Rover for 28 years. Wow long time. After a long time yeah left around 2013 so yeah a long time so um, I went into finance uh, because that's what you do with a economics degree (laughs) I suppose Um, and I worked my way up through various um, areas in in Jaguar which is a great company still is Um, and then ended up having seven years in the US with them, which we'll touch on later. So it's interesting. Uh, an automotive journalist uh, once called me a man of steel. I got so excited. But, you know, he said, well, uh, no superpowers, unfortunately. Uh, but it's how did you get from working at the steelworks to be MD of Jaguar? Um, a, six, a CFO of a $6 billion organisation. And that's what we're all wondering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he said, you should tell people and you should say what you did right, what you did wrong. Uh, but there was no career plan. I just effectively looked at my boss and thought, I can do that job. I can do that job. But I was prepared to take opportunities and to turn things down if I didn't think they were right for me. I think that's really interesting, actually, that there wasn't necessarily a plan and a focus there. Mm. But you had the confidence to say, look, I... I've seen what this guy does. I could do that. And that's really interesting. And that perhaps is a mindset thing, would you say? 
I think it's a mindset thing, but I also, you know, there's lots, you, you, you change over your life. There's influences on you change over your life. Um, and there's coincidence, coincidences that happen at a time you don't expect. And I think even more today, it's, I don't know how someone, you know, unless you want to be a rocket scientist or a doctor or a, a technical qualification person, so many things change. You can't say, I'm going to move from this job to this job to this job because the world changes. So I think you have to be resilient. You've got to be adaptable. You've got to be flexible. You've got to spot opportunities. Then frankly, take the chance to win those opportunities or not. It is all about taking that chance, isn't it? A calculated yeah. risk, I would say. So perhaps we could um, we could talk about your time at Jaguar Land Rover. That, that sure. really interests us. Yeah. And um, perhaps you could just talk us through that a little bit. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so my first job was, say, in finance, uh, in uh, actually the Castle Bromwich plant. So it was in, uh, in manufacturing finance, which is great grounding for me. It was like, it was almost like being down the rugby club every day. It was a bit rough. It was a bit robust in those days, a bit tough. Um, and I was in manufacturing finance for four or five years. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, at that time, I was playing rugby, but I was injured. So I decided to do um, my county qualification. I had time to do it. And I was told that to become a senior manager in finance in Jaguar, you needed to, to get a qualification, which is fine, which I did uh, part-time. Um, and it's uh, it went well. And I eventually uh, become the finance controller for all the Jaguar sites. The thing was, for me, um, it, it, manufacturing is incredibly important, but it's all about efficiency. Everything is measured within an inch of its life. How many gloves you use today? Everything is measured. Very important because it's efficiency, it's costs. Um, but then I got a, a chance to go into the commercial world. Uh, and as a finance person, to deal in the sales and market aspects of the company, it's to me a lot more, you know, a lot more challenging because how much do you spend on advertising? What's the advertising channel you want to spend on? Uh, you negotiate the price of the cars. In those days, it was with independent distributors. That's a negotiation. So there's a lot more gray areas because it was as, as much qualitative as quantitative. And I think if I, one of my lessons from finance and my biggest bugbear at times with finance people is that if you ask them a question, they will say, well, the answer is this, because the bottom right-hand cell of the spreadsheet <laughs> says it's that. I know it well, yeah. Uh, what I, well, I was brought up to say that you know the business, you know the processes, so your brain should be able to say, I tell you what, that doesn't look right. I'm not sure what's wrong, but something's not right. I should go and look at it. And I think that's somehow at some point where finance people can let themselves down, because it's the broader understanding of the business it's not just a bunch of processes and a spreadsheet. So uh, I went from life at Castle Bromwich and Browns Lane to uh, traveling to Japan 15 times in four years for two weeks at a time. Wow. Because we had a joint venture that was lo losing money, uh, helped set up the sales companies in Europe, 
did uh, you know, profit negotiations you know, within, in, uh, within the Middle East. So all of a sudden, it was a challenge to me in that you had to negotiate. There was gray areas, and there had to be a qualitative side of your brain because you didn't have 100% information. Uh, and that was a big, a big learning for me. So what's a, what's coming out of this for me is you've gone from a world of uh, finance, which is relatively black or white, it's either right mm -hmm. or wrong, to something which has got a, a vast colour differential of greys. Yes. And how did you cope with that? Because your um, your upbringing would have told you it's either right or wrong. So how did you then transition into the grey areas? Well, it's interesting because. I, I think the other thing I would say is that people pigeonhole finance people. Uh, and I remember someone saying, I said, uh, I'm going to move into sales marketing sometime. Well, your finance. Well, you, you'll have to do this sort of job for 12 months before you can learn sales marketing. And you say, well, it's not like you changed a chip in my brain. If I got common business sense and I got the ability to form a relationship with a person or a company, maintain that, negotiate and get a deal, then I don't see what you're talking about. Finance people get pigeonholed on the base of accounting and audit and governance. But there's a lot more to me of finance that, again, is around the commercial world, is around growth. How, how do you grow in a sustainable, profitable way? Some finance people say, well, the answer is no to this, this, and this spend. But there's a different way that says, let's have 10 or 12 stuff, things we've got to do for this company. Which are the top priorities? That's where we put the money. And I had a group of, of finance people that the sales market people would come to. They say, I want to do this, this, and this. And my finance managers will say, that won't work. It won't get approved to be because of this and okay. this. So why don't we work together? What, what, what are you really trying to get to? And we'll help you get to it. So I was more around that commercial side. I, yeah, I can, I could do double entry bookkeeping, but that wasn't me. So there's a, big difference. <laughs> there's a big difference between the commercial, commercial finance and accounting. And people, quite wrongly, in my opinion, pigeonhole finance people as accounting. I think it's dangerous as well, isn't it? Because, it, you know, we know better than anyone that it's about somebody's inbuilt skills and their abilities. And the fact that you have to um, use that to the best of somebody's personal ability. Yeah. So that's, that's really important. Just to, touching on a point that you mentioned about negotiation. So that seems to have been a skill that you acquired. How, how did you find the first few negotiations? Oh, it was, it, it, it was tough. Uh, <clears throat> and you're not going to win everything, you know, and you shouldn't need to win everything. And you know what your bottom line is and what you're trying to say. I always remember one of the first ones we had independent distributors in Europe. So we were going to uh, France um, to discuss the pricing of the next, the vehicle that was being launched. And the guy in France was a very powerful businessman in France. So again, this is quite a while ago. So he kept us talking for seven hours, blue cigar smoke in their face and say, what time's your plane? Don't worry, I'm staying overnight. Oh, well, I need to charge you this for the new cars. Oh, you put my family on the streets. So, really? <laughs> We're on the Champs-Élysées and this is your third home, really? Yeah, uh, yeah. 
I'll give you this. Oh, if I go back with that, I'll be sacked. I can't do that. And that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you, you learn, you kind of get your hard point of what you could have come back with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there is always the amount that you learn. But you also learn about people. So I knew that uh, when I was in Germany, Holland, Belgium, for instance, and Scandinavia, if I said, this is what I want to charge for the new car, this is why, these are the additional features, so on, this is the margin you'll make, if it made sense, they will say, okay. If you go into France, Italy, Spain, if you tried to charge them £10, they would want it to be £6 or £8. So you change your stance and you change, to a certain extent, the numbers you presented because you know the way they would react from just the way sort of people they are. And does that come with practice, or is that something someone can teach? Uh, well, I went with you know my my <laughs> senior my, my director at the time for the first few. <clears throat> In the end, I think he just come on three or four because he come to uh, Paris, Rome. And Madrid, because he liked those cities, I think. <laughs> I think. So in the end, he chose and which ones he went to. <laughs> so you do learn from someone and you watch someone. Uh, and I think the other thing is uh, that I found, and particularly when I was in Japan, because when you first come to Japan, I knew nothing about Japan, nothing at all. And you learn to respect the culture but not be afraid of the culture. Mm. And we're all, it's all people at the end of the day, good, bad, and indifferent. And so you do learn how to read people, how to react to people, uh, and how to just say, look, this is a line I can't go over. There's lots of room for us to get to a deal that suits us both. So let's play a game then for two or three hours, but then can we just get it sorted? Absolutely. So it sounds to me like it changes depending on different cultures and the, the few different types of people that you encounter. Yeah, and also the absolutely, uh, you know, depending uh, the, you know the subject of what you're negotiated on. Because some things you could say, look, I can't move from that. That's it. So, you know, where's, you know, where's the common ground between us? Let's talk about that. Fantastic. I, th- I feel like I could talk to you about negotiation all day, actually. <laughs> and that's probably another podcast. Another but, podcast um, yeah. You mentioned um, rugby. If we could just jump onto rugby for a second. Sure. So uh, there's some big games going on at the moment, Six Nations. Oh, I know, yes. I take it you're supporting Wales? I am a Welsh boy. Fantastic. And uh, I was up the pub in Stratford surrounded by English mates. <laughs> Although I do have a, an eight, a 15-month retriever puppy that is from South Wales. So oh, fantastic. She was the only one on my side. Uh, they, they, they were extremely confident until about 10 minutes to go, and then they started getting worried. Three or four yeah. minutes to go, they were very worried. But uh, Strong-looking team, though, the Welsh. No, they used to be, not so much now. <laughs> we're in tra- transition. But it's a great game. I played it for a long time in Coventry. And the thing about rugby for me is wherever you are in the world, if you meet someone who likes rugby or plays rugby, you can sit down and have a drink with them and have a chat with them. Of course you can. It's, it's a very different game. game, isn't it? It's a very different game. game. Yeah. So uh, what position did you play? I was fullback. Okay. I was okay. fullback. And there's some tough teams around Coventry area, Bedworth and others. And as a fullback at times, you think, well, if I catch the ball or drop it, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to get hit. <laughs> yeah. So you might yeah. Well just get ready for it. But loved Absolutely. It. Loved the game. Did you ever think that you might take that up more seriously or... I wish I was good enough to do it, but I wasn't. So I, was, I know uh, the feeling. I got yeah. as far as college and that was it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, just not good enough. Yeah. Um, okay, well, perhaps we can talk about um, a little bit about your career as a whole, actually. So clearly has taken a lot of motivation to get to where you are. Yeah. So perhaps 
we could talk about where your inspiration and motivation comes from. Is there a, is there a deep rooted place or? I don't know. That's a bit deep for me. A <laughs> bit early in the morning. It's a bit early for money. I'm not sure. But it, 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 it's, you know, let me tell you, um, uh, to put stuff into perspective, I suppose. I, uh, because of the, uh, so I did a lot of work in Japan, uh, you know, with the sales director and myself leading, leading in a small team. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we turned it around in the five years from a, a loss to a profit and sold off some stuff. I was then asked by Ford, because Jaguar was owned by Ford, you know, uh, to, to go to Detroit uh, for a government in Detroit, uh, which they don't do a lot of particularly. Uh, but it was the wrong time for me personally. So I actually turned it down. Okay. They okay. asked me a second time and I turned it down. Why I turned it down was my personal life at the time. And then I got a call from Detroit and they said, well, it's a great opportunity. Obviously, if you turn it down a third time, then frankly, that will go against you. You'll probably never be a director in finance while Ford, Ford owned Jaguar. Uh, so, so, yeah, well, thanks for understanding, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I just didn't want to do it at that point in time. And um, bizarrely then, um, a guy, Nick Shaler, who's ex-Ford, actually went on to run Ford Worldwide, uh, was the head of Jaguar at the time. He said, well, look, we, we want a senior finance guy in New Jersey with Jaguar. Will you go then? And I was just about to get married. And, he's, and he said, look, I'll say to your wife that if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll get you back in six months. And she trusted the Jaguar management, whereas the Ford management is just a long way away. Well, that's so, fantastic. That says a lot, doesn't it? That says a lot. Is that trust? And then, so I went there, um, which was uh, about th- about 30 minutes outside New York, uh, and I became vice president of finance. And then in the year 2000, Ford bought Land Rover Volvo Aston Martin. Yep, yep. Put it together in something called the Premier Automotive Group, which was 6 billion turnover. And I was made CFO of that group. So in three years, I went from you'll never be a Jaguar to being CFO of a very profile division of Ford. And part of it was the management had changed. And I continued to do a damn good job, but the management changed. And that taught me that at times it doesn't matter how good you are, how hard you are, how hard you're working and what you're doing. Changes that are outside your control can affect your career and hence being flexible, adaptable. And this was good old Ford at the time. They said, well, what we want you to do, Jeff, uh, take the finance departments of four brands, put them together in one, save 20% of the headcount, create centers of excellence for pricing, for accounting, for audit. And by the way, we're moving you all to California. Better weather. Better weather. (laughs) Uh, And you see, well, majority of people never moved. Um, and what you find is then another finance lesson I learned very much then was that the only way to get some of the synergies that get written down on paper is that you have very efficient, good processes. But those processes tend to take over uh, the people and the personalities. Yeah, yeah. So I had a group of people that were dealing on pricing for Jaguar in one meeting, then they moved to Land Rover, then they moved to Volvo. For me, that may have been efficient, and from an academic point of view, they knew what they were doing. But they had no—they lost the feel for the brand. They lost the links to the op- operational areas. So I was everyone's CFO, but I wasn't close to the CFO in Gothenburg 
Volvo or Jaguar or Land Rover because sure, yeah. I didn't have time. And if you're not careful, the processes take over the people. And that's, I think, where you lose a lot of empathy and understanding what you're doing. And then it becomes spreadsheets. Which can be dangerous. So I moved, the upside, I moved from Newport to Coventry to New York to Newport Beach, California. And Newport Beach, California, and Newport South Wales are not twinned for some very good reasons. <laughs> yes, I wonder why. <laughs> Much as I love my home, my hometown, of course, yeah, yeah, it's not twin. But that taught me a big lesson about you can write all 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 the synergies you want on a piece of paper, but it's people that make them work. Because if it's just processes, then to me, it's uh, it, it doesn't achieve what you want. So for our listeners, well, actually, I'm sitting here as well, Jeff, thinking. Wow, you're talking about huge numbers here, huge businesses, you know, six billion turnover. That seems out of the reach of, of most people. Um, but as you said yourself, you know, you came from a coal mining town. So it is in reach for, for everyone, really. It's just about having that um, focus and mindset to get there. Um, how would you say that people that are starting their career would be best suited? And what, what should they be learning at this point to you know, set themselves up well for the future. It's a changing landscape, as you say. But what what skills can they onboard at the moment? Well, I suppose, um, you know, first of all, we're all different, so we all got to do what we think is comfortable or right for us. That's very easy to say, very difficult to do. Particularly as you start your career, you get people that say, you got to do this, this, and this. Now, there's certain uh, academic qualifications or technical learning that that you need to do. Uh, and my finance training give me a very good background that, that um, helped me when I was in my commercial negotiations because you can process numbers. So if you can process numbers and you can read people, for me, that's the ideal. It's perfect. Um, so there's a technical aspect you've got to learn. Uh, but I do think... It's easy to say it's about people, but it is about people. People are good, bad, and indifferent, aren't they? They certainly can be. Yeah, you know, some you know some people are humble, know a lot. Some people don't know a lot and are real dicks. Let's be honest. <laughs> let's be honest. So it's it, it depends the field you're going to go in, but I think you got to be you got to be flexible. You got to look for opportunities, but I think. You've got to say no if it doesn't suit you. And I could not have done that in the early part of my career because you don't know. Um, but at some point you have to do that. Otherwise, you go down a path that you don't want to go down. The other thing I would say is that sometimes the best career move is one you don't think is is a, a, a career move that takes you into something completely different and actually does challenge you. Because it's easy to say, I'm in this sales sales tree or I'm in this finance chimney and I'm just going to go up this chimney. I don't think the world's like that anymore. I think there's a, a, a lot more uh, movement across disciplines now. Well, you're an example of that really, aren't you? That uh, it would have been very easy for you to take a, a finance path and always stick onto it. Mm. But actually you've been able to jump um, between different disciplines and that seems like quite a powerful ability. It does, but it, again, I'll, uh, you know, I'll... Uh, I'll tell you and your listeners a very personal story that actually I thought was going to finish my career. 
Okay. And I usually start off saying, look, if you're going to be sacked, make it by someone exceedingly powerful. Don't mess around. Right? Make it by someone powerful. That's how I usually start this stuff off. So I was CFO of Jaguar Land Rover Volvo North America. And it was on the Jaguar Land Rover side of the business. Uh, and in the US, uh, certainly that time and still today, 80% of the cars are bought on a two-year cycle, two or three-year cycle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you say, I'm, I'll pay $500 a month for this car. We say at the end of three years, the car is valued at X amount. If the market has gone down and the value is below that, then you know the company takes the hit. It's not the customer, it's the company. So I saw that the, uh, that the use, uh, used car values were dropping. And uh, so I said to the, the global CFO at Jaguar Land Rover, we've got a problem here. I can't give you all the detail at this point in time, but we've got a problem here. Uh, book something as a risk in the forecast. The normal risk and ops that you do. Uh, it didn't happen. And... It came true that we had a problem. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the the president of North America at the time uh, and the global CFO say, why don't you tell? Uh, I shan't mention his name. Uh, uh, Mark, you, you tell Mark. Uh, he was the head of PAG. Okay. Worldwide, and he went on to lead Ford worldwide. So he was head of Ford worldwide. Uh, his next move, actually. Um, and so, so you want me? Yeah, well, you tell him, because you, you kind of know all the detail, don't you? And I said, you, you do realise messengers get shot, don't you? Feels, it feels like you're going to get thrown under a bus there. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, so I rang, uh, rang Mark, and Mark said, oh, how are you, Jeff? Uh, funny you're ringing me in the evening. I assume there's a problem. I said, yeah, it's a problem, Mark. It's, uh, you know, the used car values. He said, well, I heard about it a couple of months ago, uh, and he said... Uh, but it wasn't booked in the forecast, so either it's gone away or it's covered by something. I said, it's not gone away and it's not covered, Mark. He said, uh, how much is it? I said, you know, you kind of tap dance a bit. Oh, <laughs> give, a, uh, give or take, it'll be a profit hit of just over 75 million. Okay? So not small numbers. Not small numbers. <laughs> he went very quiet. And then he said, don't worry, Jeff. The sun will still rise in the morning. It's just whether you're here to see it or not. Wow, that sounds like it cuts deep. And at that <laughs> point, for some reason, I said, I hope it's a, a long night, Mark. <laughs> I don't know why I said it. I just said, but it wasn't a long night, and there was an investigation, and it was put down to a lack of communication between me and the UK. And I thought the UK were, didn't do what they did. But then you sit back and you think, I should have been stronger. I should have got up and shouted. I should have probably talked to Detroit about it, which would really have upset the headquarters outside of Detroit, you know, Jaguar Land Rover because, <clears throat> you know, it's because of the politics. Uh, but I didn't. So I should have been, I looked at myself, I should have been stronger. Uh, and then it was, um, I don't know, about a month, two months later, I got a chance to move into operations, which is what I wanted. And for finance, it was an acceptable thing, you know? So, okay. Uh, so I've become the head of the used car business for the US, for Jaguar Land Rover, which was a $2 billion organization. And the interesting thing then is that after I, uh, my boss then come to me and said, oh, by, by the way, 
Uh, Mark is coming down with his entourage from Detroit to uh, for you to present to him uh, how we improve the used car values. Because we've had the loss, how do we improve the used car values? So I said, great. So he's almost sacked me once. So now I have to tell him everything we need to do is what we're not doing. You sell less cars. You don't have so much stock at the dealers. You don't give so much discounts away. You don't give... Uh, so many cars to fleet sales because they get churned quickly. He said, yes, that's what you're going to do. And he said, even more, in, uh, in the afternoon, uh, the head of Ford Worldwide is coming down for the same presentation. Oh, fantastic. So I can't I, wait. I can't wait to get on it. <laughs> but I did all my research. And I thought, no, I'm just going to say this is it. And it's based on data and it's fact. And... I must say I did a great presentation. I was going back up in the lift with uh, with this Mark, and Mark said, that was really good today. I learned a lot. I said, oh, fresh start there, Mark. He said, yes. He said, just stand up for yourself. Be careful of people in central operations. Be careful of the politics. So I said, okay. In the afternoon, the head of Ford Worldwide comes in, private jet lands, comes out with all these people. And he'd been a Jaguar. This guy, uh, a, a guy called Jim Padilla, had also worked at Jaguar, seconded from Ford. And he come in and he turned to Mark, Mark and you could see that they, there was a, a bit of a tension between them. He said, Mark, Mark, did you learn anything today? Yeah, Mark said, yes, I did, Jim. I said, okay, he said that. Uh, just want you to know that Jeff is one of four people worldwide that really knows his subject, so you absolutely listen to everything he says and put it in action. And you sit there and you think, oh, that's great. And then you sit there and you think, oh, no, the bloke almost <laughs> sacked me once. His boss is telling him, so how's, how's he going to react? Uh, but the interesting thing is uh, it was only one half, two years after that that Mark actually supported me to become MD of Jaguar for the UK. Fantastic. So there's something there about, you know, about the knockbacks and being uh, uh, firm in what you are and who you are and a bit, you know, a bit about resilience and a bit about luck and support and what I hadn't realised, and it was Nick Shaler then who became head of Ford, told me there was a lot of support for you in the system because of what you'd done in the past and because how you dealt with people. It's really interesting. It's a whole piece about integrity as well, isn't it? Yes, you, it is, yeah. You know, you, you've treated this guy with respect and it's come round to benefit you at a later Indeed. date. So that, I, I like the sound of that. that uh, yeah, so but it's quite fascinating. But, uh, you know, the night you're told, sorry, you're not sure you'll be here in the morning is it's quite a different thing to deal with. Did you sleep that night? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what could you do? It's going to happen anyway. It's the sun's going to come up anyway. The sun's going to come up anyway, yeah. So how would you... Clearly, you've had a successful career. Mm. So how would you define success for you? Um, well, again, it, it changes over time, mm. doesn't it? Yeah, when you're young, you're, you know, success for me, young, was first of all to get a degree. Then it was to be best I could at playing rugby. Then it was, oh, I, might as well, I better get a job now. Uh, what sort of job do I want? And then looking, I can do that job, I can do that job. Uh it's, but the world's changing. I think now it's, it is more of a balance, more of a work-life balance now that everyone says. Easy to say, difficult to do. Absolutely, especially um, in manufacturing. Especially manufacturing, and you're going to find in two or three years' time, 
how much of all the talk about work-life balance when the pressure's on for, for companies, for the country with GDP, does it, over the next five years, does it inch back? It'll never be what it was five, ten years ago, which is probably right. But then again, um, I think there's a lot of uh, business people I know who worry that uh, their people won't work as hard as they think they should work. And I think there's going to be that thing between uh, what people think is hard work, individuals, and what their management think is hard work. Uh, so I've probably not answered your question at all. For me at the moment, it is... It's interesting. You know, when, you know, uh, when, when I left Jaguar, Land Rover, uh, a guy that was this, uh, CEO of Harvey Nash, the big headhunters, yeah, yeah. come to see me, he said, what is it you really want, Jeff? And I said, uh, I want to prove myself as Jeff Cousins, not Jeff Cousins, of Jaguar. I led a big turnaround in Jaguar in UK. <clears throat> Excuse me. How much was me and my team and how much was the brand? And of course, being the head of a head and, uh, head of a recruitment company, he said, well, that's daft. You're a success. You've never been MD at Jaguar. So, but what I've done since then is working with startups and scale-ups to add value and for them to be a success, but it's got to be with people I like and respect and a business proposition that I think will work because I still have my credibility that I've built up over the years. Of course, yeah. Does that make sense? Mm. So to this guy, it didn't make any sense at all, but to me, it, it was proving myself in a smaller arena than a big brand. So it sounds to me like you like to challenge yourself and you like to put yourself outside of your comfort zone and do things that you're not always all that experienced in is that a fair yeah, that's true but i'm i suppose i'm a strange I, I remember my father ringing my professor at university and saying uh, jeff's not doing enough work not enough work and the professor said uh he's smart he just does enough work to get by <laughs> you know so it's like i can have this thing i'll be honest i can if i've got four four weeks to do something i can drift if i got 24 hours to do something i'm absolutely brilliant they so say it, it's sometimes yeah. putting, and that's very honest, you know, sometimes putting that pressure on you to really push through and succeed. Couldn't agree more. I like a bit of pressure on me as well. I think yeah. it, uh, it just gets the best results out of a certain personality type, doesn't yeah, it? So, absolutely. So perhaps we could talk about um, successful habits and what what are the things you do daily, weekly, monthly, and further out to ensure success um, because it's not well, just guessing. There's there's an intent there. You've got um, a method and intent. That actually makes it sound like it's a, a formula, which is not. It's mm. um, it's. I think let, let, let me talk about tools. Can I frame it in a slightly different sure. way? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I've learned that in large companies uh, not all actually in all companies but as you lead a, a bigger company it, yeah it's defined more so you know to be a good leader in a company of whatever size and of people then of course you can go on to any course and uh, any, any textbook and say you know you know, you have to have a vision you got to your people got to buy in a vision you got to communicate the vision you got to have integrity you got to walk the talk you've um should focus on results. You can 
do all that, but what I've absolutely learned in my time is, you know, where I classes some streetwise skills that you have to have, in my opinion, if you're going to be the best you can be. And if the best you can be is by, I've reached this director level, I've reached this. <clears throat> and that's what I discovered uh, over the past, I think. First thing is, you need to be politically astute. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying ex externally, although at a certain level you need to do that. But you've got to be politically astute in internally. For instance, uh, if there's a row in your company or a debate between sales and finance, who generally wins? Or between engineering and finance, who generally wins? If a CEO asks for people's opinions, they'll ask a board or they'll ask a management team. But you'll be able to spot one or two that he listens to more. Of course, yeah. Or more influence. Uh, also, when I was MD at Jaguar, you have so many met metrics you measured on. So many. But which ones does the CEO ask you about most of the time? It's usually sales. Of course. Yes, yeah. they say you've got to be profitable as well, but it's usually sales. So I think to be, be politically astute, if you're that, if it's, it helps you and the team because you need to sell your strategy. You need to sell what your your people are doing and why. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. And behind that is um, man, uh, the, the, you need to manage perception. I was naive. I thought, I'm doing a good job, so I'm doing a good job. And at the time, we are doing a lot of uh, with sports people around Jago to improve the brand. So I did a deal with Team Sky with David Brailsford, England cricket deal. And before the Olympics, we had Jess Ennis, Chris Hoy in, in cars. And people were in the organisation say it's stars in cars, that's easy. But it wasn't that because they worked really hard for us. And I should have managed that perception better. And the third one is, as we go back to, you know, the, the, the art of negotiation. And it's finding the common ground. You have your hard points. You know they're hard points. And in between. So for me, if you're going to lead, you need those three things on top of the things you learn and the way you act. And the last thing I would say is that for all the will in the world, uh, you have to say to your people, I'm driving this bus. This is the way the bus is going. You've got a very important job on this bus. But if you don't feel this is the right bus for you, then let me know. I'll slow down and I'll let you off this bus. And I'm sure there'll be another bus coming along, pick you up. Sometimes you've got to take the hard decisions. Absolutely. So it, I'm not sure yeah. that answers your question at all. No, it does actually. But it for does. me, that is, I am now the sum of what I've learned and experienced mm. over time. And therefore, I wish I'd had a mentor when I was uh, MD of Jaguar. I wish I'd had a mentor because I probably would have done better, made less mistakes if I'd had a mentor. So I've seen you talk a few times, Jeff, and uh, every time I've seen you talk, you mention mentorship mm. and how important you think that is. So perhaps we could touch on that for a second, if that's okay. So do you think that people should have a mentor at all levels or do you think there's a point where it becomes useful? Uh, ooh, that's a difficult, that's a difficult question. And I suppose it depends on your definition of a mentor. Um, because as, as you're young and you're growing up and you're experienced stuff, you tend to be in your group, don't you? Mm. You tend, and you, you will listen to one or two people in your group or you'll listen to a manager that 
you get on better with. And sure, it's yeah. interesting, one of the first bit of advice I got from a director was be very careful of employing extremely intelligent, stupid people. <laughs> I know need, a few of those. <laughs> you need people that, can, that you know, get stuff done. Yes. Uh, so, and that we're all attracted to different types of people and different personalities. Uh, I think, as you, I think a mentor is good at all levels, but it doesn't need to be an official mentor when you're with a group of similar minded people and you're working and you'll work out who above you is, can give you advice. Some will be better than us. But I think as you go higher and as certainly if you become a, a director, then it is useful just to bounce ideas off, just to, for someone to say, look, you know, you're good, but you're not that good. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Have a think of it this way and this way. It's not a soft touch to be a mentor or to use a mentor. Uh, but it's got to, again, it's like everything else, it's got to be the right mix of personalities to make it work. Absolutely, absolutely. So perhaps we could just talk about challenges for a second. So sure. has there ever, I know we talked about a time um, when some very, well, a very important person at Ford, yeah. you came very close to not seeing that morning. <laughs> yeah. But have there been any challenges where you've personally thought about saying, no, do you know what, I'm out now, that I've had enough? And if there were, how did you overcome that? What was what was the mindset that you had to take to make that? Uh, that's an interesting one. Um, I, I suppose there's, again, sorry to mess you about with your questions, but there's a slightly different way to answer. Politically astute. Politically astute. <laughs> one of the... You know, one of the big, 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 one of the biggest challenges I had uh, was I was uh, within two months of leave, leaving the US to come back to the UK, and I was diagnosed with cancer with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, and I came back, and it was a challenge that you uh, you go into a new job, and you've been away seven years in the US. A lot of people change. But now I had to uh, deal with cancer as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the company were were extremely good, and I was of the mindset that you've got to be strong and you've got a course of treatment. So get on, get on with it. You mm-hmm. know. So I used to have five hours of chemo on a Monday every three weeks. Okay. And I go to work on the Tuesday. Wow. I might only go to work for three or four hours, but and they were happy for me to go to work. For that, so that kept me going. So I think you've got to have something to focus on because if you sat at home and you think about it, you can drive yourself into quite a dark hole. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then touch wood, I was fine, uh, and I'm still fine. So that was a big challenge. The other big challenge for me, I suppose, I left. Uh, it's, again, it's a personal story. My wife of 16 years uh, died in July 2012. I'm sorry to hear that. No, 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 yeah. Um, and I left Jaguar Land Rover after 28 years in December 2012. You wake up early 2013, you think, what do I do now? Mm. If you think about it, the two mainstays of your your life... Of course, yeah. ...is your family and your work. Uh, and I wasn't sure what to do because you've been these big jobs and... So what do I do now? Do I become a consultant or I want another big job? Well, I don't really. Uh, <clears throat> so you think, well, you've got to do something. You can't just sit here. And it's, it's quite interesting that uh, uh, Colin Jackson, uh, the Olympian, is a good mate. 
And he said, oh, come down, spend time with us in London. Let's go and have some fun. So I went and had some fun down in London. And then I thought, i got to start working because I need work. But I I don't want the 16-hour the pressure there is when you're MD of a large company. Of course, yeah. So then I did some consultancy. I worked for PE companies. I did some um, advisory work. Uh, and I worked with scale-ups. And then I thought, I'm enjoying this. If I can help people scale up their business and succeed, that's a great place to be. But you've got to, you know, you, you either look back or you look forward. And it's very easy to say, difficult to do. But for me, you just got to get on with it. Just try something. Try something and you know, get on with it. Do something that you would not normally have done. Because you can, because you can. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Fantastic. I think people get too hung up, don't they, in the here and now? Yeah. And they don't think, well, actually, I could try something new. And I think that's really powerful. And may I ask, what's an Olympian's idea of fun in London? Keep it PG. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose because of uh, where I was at Jagger, I knew a lot of people. So you went to some nice events. You went to some sports events and, you know, you have drinks with, some very well-known people uh, in in private, but uh, fantastic. It was just something different for a point in time. That's all. Of course, nice for clarity of the mind as well, really, isn't yeah. it? Because clearly, you went through that process and thought, yeah. "No, do you know what? I actually need something to do here." Yeah, and it's that whole um, adage that people think, "Well, I'm going to retire early. I'm going to go and live on a Caribbean island." Yeah, and um, you know, you get to that point where you can do that. You get That's to the right. island oh, no, I'm not enjoying this as much as yeah. I thought I would. Yeah. So people need a purpose, I guess. They, 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 you need your purpose. And again, that purpose does it changes over time mm. as, as you change over time. And as I said, you know, I, I've got, uh, I'm enjoying my career now as much as I did Jaguar Land Rover. Uh, the parties aren't as good, but <laughs> there you go. Uh, and I'm, 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 uh, I'm content and I'm, you know, life is good. Uh, I've, I've got a great wife. I'm, I'm married. Got a great wife. Uh, so I'm. I've got a lot of benefit from what I'm doing. Uh, but if you'd asked me when I was in the steelworks, would I become MD of Jaguar? Nah, don't be daft. Would I be doing what I? Would I be living in Stratford? No, I wouldn't. That's fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like there might be a whole other podcast on that. <laughs> so, yeah. so can we rewind a little Sorry, bit now? Yes, and we let's jump back to school life. So. If we could take you back into education, hmm. how did school go for you? Was it a positive experience? Yes, yes, it was. Um, it was a, a positive experience. It was uh, uh, in Newport, South Wales. It was a good school. It had just moved from being a grammar to a comprehensive school. Okay. So it was a bit of a churn the teachers. Hmm. Uh, I was all right. I suppose I wasn't that confident and I had a stutter, which I've still got, that you would have heard with this. Uh, that knocks your confidence a little bit okay, at times. Okay. Um, but no, I had a good bunch of friends and yeah, school was good. I, again, I did enough to get by. I did enough to get by at Warwick University and that's probably the wrong thing to say to your listeners, but that was me. But then what I've learned is I learned that I'd missed, I hadn't missed out on education because I got my old levels, A levels and a degree. But interestingly, after I left, I then did my accountancy and then I did my MBA at Warwick University part-time, three years, twice a week, whilst having a job okay. uh, with Jaguar. And I, 
I absolutely enjoyed that. And part of me wishes that I had had that enjoyment when, when I was at university and had the time to do it. I discovered education. I could do it. I could get by. But then I discovered that you can have fun and learn a lot. And I wish I'd learned that earlier. But So perhaps we could just talk about the educational mm-hmm. system for a second and your perception of it. Do you, think, do you think the way we do education as a whole is fit for purpose? Do you think it works? Or do you think it's more of a factory production line and actually we're not producing the skills that are needed for the modern world? Um, I, I haven't, honestly, I haven't thought about it that much, but the things that do come home to me is that it seems to be, if you have, if you have a, a good memory, you can pass exams. Sure. Yeah. If you pass exams, you get a qualification. If you're not careful, you also go back to <clears throat> a very intelligent, stupid people, which are not maybe great as rocket scientists, but not good for business at times. Um, I think also, <clears throat> in my time, there was, you know, the universities and the, 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 and the polytechnics. The polytechnics seemed to be more of, you know, the business, you know, the technical services, uh, not apprenticeships, but they did a lot of courses that were more kind of for the in, in industry than the academic courses. Sure, yeah. In my opinion, when they become uh, universities, everybody shifted to the, the more academic way mm-hmm. of doing history or doing economics or doing this. And I think the in- industry of the country lost out a bit over a period of time in not having people... Uh, that could go into the car industry or the aerospace industry at the lower level and work their way up. So in the roundabout way, I would say I wish there was, I'm not, I was absolutely determined to go to university. I'm not sure I'd be absolutely determined to go to university now. It seems like people get themselves into a lot of debt. And um, of course, which I didn't have at the time. Of course, yeah. yeah. And then um, they don't necessarily use the degree that they learn. Um, Yes. what I would say, having been there myself, it is a, it's an interesting experience as well because you learn a lot about life sure. and how to look after yourself sure. and you make some good mates. Yes. And it's a, it's a good character building exercise as well. Absolutely. It, it does, it does worry me that there's a lot of people coming out of um, higher education that aren't going to use the thing that they've just studied three or four years on. So that, that is interesting. Um, but it's interesting mm. that you touch on vocational routes as well to prepare yes. people for, uh, you know, industry and, almost the real world job ready stuff. Yeah. And I think we're going to need more on that because, uh, you know, now, now we're more standalone out of Brexit. Um, you know, yeah, from, from what you see from the, uh, the microchip shortage in the automotive industry, what you see from that we're going to have to have huge capacity to make batteries for electric cars. Sure. Yeah. Then you see the unfortunate situation in Ukraine where there's 30 manufacturing sites that are there because it was, you know, a cheaper late labor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone's. You know, you, you come around and think, well, why did we let all our manufacturing industry go? Because strategically, you're at a disadvantage. Now. Mm. It does seem a massive shame. I'm, I'm a bigger advocate of that coming yeah. back to the UK. So actually. I think there will be more. Uh, re, re, you know, there'd be more tech. There'd be more reshoring, uh, which means that you need more youngsters coming up that's got that more pra- practical 
skill set. I hope so. I hope so. It is what we need, and it, it would be good to see that return mm. to the UK. Perhaps, Jeff, we could just touch on people for a second. We've we've talked sure. about how important people are yeah. um, in various ways uh, during this conversation. But what role do people, and particularly good people, play in the success of a business? Oh, at the, at the end of the day, people people are the success of the business, whether it's the people that uh, develop the idea and then develop the product that comes from that idea uh, to the finance people that evaluate it, to the sales and marketing people that go and sell it, to your third-party uh, partners like a, a car dealer. Um, it is all about people, but I always, it's interesting, I... I remember other director saying to me, um, I don't understand you, Jeff. Uh, a lot of people leave your area. I had more people promoted out of my area. Okay, interesting. Than, uh, than in, in anywhere else in Jaguar Land Rover at that time. And I said, well, at the end of the day, if people come see that they're being developed and they get promoted, I'm going to have my disciples go into the desert sort of thing. But I'm also going to have bright young things coming in. Well, your department's then more attractive, isn't it? So. Yeah, so you've got to deal with the churn, which can be difficult. Mm -hmm. Very difficult. You've got to be careful. You deal with the churn. But at the end of the day, it's the people. But I kind of, I always said to my people, and I think as a leader, you have to be engaging and you've got to have enthusiasm for what you're trying to do as a person within a business but you've got to have the engagement enthusiasm for the people that work for, for, for you. Okay. And, and let's be honest, some, some, some of them you won't like, you know? Or, or to, but if they do a good job, they do a good job. That's what matters really, isn't it? And that's what matters. And that's a difficult thing for people to do because you're not careful. You do gravitate to people who are similar to you or you think you get on well with. I guess the problem with picking people that are similar to you is you're going to hear yes a lot more than you probably should. Yes. Um, I am a big fan of what I call prickly teams. Yep. And I think people that do tend to not agree yep. on the same thing, I think gets you a, a better outcome. Yep. How do you feel about no, that? No, absolutely right. Yeah. Well, for me, I've kind of, well, I've got a piece of paper written down previously is that I, ideally, I wouldn't want people who work for me to think like a business owner. Absolutely, yeah. So they think they, they have a stake in the success whether it's of your department or your company, um, to drive that business to success, you have to challenge the status quo at times. You've got to challenge the leadership at times. That's difficult for uh, your people, but that's also difficult for you. It can be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Very uncomfortable, but if you're going to do it, you've got to do it. You can't mess around. You've got to do it. So, But they've got to do it in a way that is not just emotion, there's facts, it's credible. Uh, so I think if you think like a business owner, you challenge the status quo, but you're enthusiastic and credible, you're results-driven, you've got to have your whole work-life balance, everything else, but at the end of the day, if you don't get the results, the rest won't matter. Absolutely. Time. And the one thing that I found that is absolutely key is decisiveness and speed. Okay. Now, there's there's a balance between rush, rushing to make a mistake and pro procrastinating 
and think, oh, we've got to check it out, check it out. Well, you're not going to get 100% perfect information, are you? So you either do it or you don't do it. But if you do it, you've got to have what you got to have a plan B, an idea. If it doesn't work, how do you change course and do that? So that means some of your people will not be able to work like that. And then you've got to take the hard decisions. So when you're looking at people then, how do you how do you go about picking the right people? Yes, um, academia is one, CVs are one thing, but someone sitting in front of you, what are you judging? What are you looking for at that point? Oh, I don't know. That's very difficult, isn't it? Uh, I judge... I kind of... Of course, they've got to have, you know, let's be honest, we can all write down, you know, the, uh, the best CV in the world. And the person across the desk will never know if it's right or wrong. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, they know it's right or wrong, but they won't know the depth of which you've done something that you sure. say you've done something. Uh, and I don't, I don't personally like some of the fads that were, uh, are you a lion or you're, you're a mouse or this or that sort of thing, you know. I kind of, I judge the people by the way they weigh, they react, sorry, the way they react in how I talk to them. Okay. But we'll ask them a hard, straight question, but in a decent way. Okay. And then how do they react to that? And if they don't react well to that, is it because they're of, uh, a bit shy? Or is it because they were giving me bullshit at the beginning and they've been found out? That's not precise science at all. And I know you have, I, uh, I remember we've had so many, everyone has tests, don't they? Where there's some sort of psych, you know, psych, psych, psychometric tests. I think they're use they're use uh, they're useful, but they're useful as a pointer. Understood. To me, yeah, they're not yeah. saying this person is this, and I don't think people. I, I've had so many isometric tests over my time. I bet they're all different over a period of time, as I change. There'd be some bits of it that will stay the same. Your base personality. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps it's wrong. I don't know, but uh, they're all right as a uh, as a, a, a background. But for me, it's all about interaction with the individual. Let's turn this on its head for a second then. Do you think that a, a team can perform if they're poor performing people with a good leader? Or do you think it is really fundamental that those people are the right people? I think you'll find it's a mix. I think you'll find it's some people that have not been given the chance. Okay. And do those people stand up? given a chance or are they too shy or afraid to stand up and if they are how can you support them to do it uh, some of them will say they're great but they're not and some of them will just they just don't want to do a lot or they won't question you they won't look for improvements they just do their job now, frankly, in an organisation, there there can be places for all, all of those people. Of course, yeah, yeah. But to build a, a high-performing team, or whatever you want to call it, you need to have a core of people that want, that are enthusiastic and want to win, want to make it happen. And if you get a core of people, then you'll find that the majority of the other people 
get pulled along by them and then they get confident and they improve. The ones you don't, you'll have to get on that other bus. Or slows down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's really interesting. And then sitting in a team like that, clearly you've had a lot of personal successes uh, through mm-hmm. your career. How could I get noticed in a team like that? What What are the things that I would need to do? Not necessarily on purpose, but what are the kinds of, how would I need to act to get noticed? Well, again, I think it's act, act, acting with interest and in, in enthusiasm and actually whatever the discussion is, whether it's um, a, a discussion on the, the, the future strategy or if you've got a product issue now or you're talking pricing, to if you've got an idea, put your idea forward. Okay. Just put your idea forward. I think about this and then... A good lead, lead, you know, a good leader will not shoot down anyone that has a dumb idea because a dumb idea can eventually, after discussion, become the best idea in the world. It's just been taken and changed and morphed and added something else into it. Then it's a different idea, but it came from. Yeah, the dumb questions are always the hardest, aren't they? Absolutely. Don't be afraid of asking the dumb question. Well, and this is it, and a lot of people are. um, So that's yeah, that's an interesting point. So. Looking back on everything you've done, is there anything specifically you would do differently about your career path or are you pretty content with it? Uh, no, I, of, course I'm, of course I'm content with it. There's things I wish I'd done better. Okay. But that's not, I can't point to anything specific. Uh, you know, perhaps, you know, the long night I could have dealt with that better pre that, but that's part of learning. Well, that's part of learning. Uh, I could have... I think part of me now, I thought I could have gone for a, I could have had one more big job after Jaguar Land Rover, okay. but it wasn't right at the time. So yeah, so of course I could have done things better, uh, but there's not much I would have changed. And again, it goes back to uh, the type of person you are. So when I was, so I say I was in the US for seven years. And because you're a Jaguar and Jaguar Land Rover, you get to some great events. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> you work hard, you work hard, but there's some benefit to it. And similarly as MD of the UK, work really exceptionally hard. But, you know, and you're out doing speeches, doing all this stuff. I was, had job offers, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 pounds more. But I'd love working for Jaguar Land Rover but I'd like, I'd love working hard, but I liked the lifestyle that it gave you. Uh, for me, I've been to Japan, been all over the world. I've been to the US, lived East Coast, lived West Coast. I worked incredibly hard. Uh, but those experiences meant more to me than an extra 30, 40, 50,000 pounds. That's a really interesting now, point. For me, yeah. now, now, for other people, the answer may well be different. So it's more about the overall lifestyle and everything that that affords you as opposed to just that one metric, that one number. And for me, although it's tough, I would say to people, if you've got a chance to go and experience a different country, a different way of working, a different culture, because the US is a different culture uh, and Japan certainly was, I think it's, it's that that made me a better person and a better leader because... You have to listen when you're in a different country that's culture's different. Of you've course. got to listen and you've got to understand. And you don't, you don't, you don't realize it, but you're learning 
just by that experience of listening and understanding. That's really interesting. A lot of empathy coming out from that, yeah, I guess. Absolutely. Um, so... When you're not working, what are you doing? When we do, well, I'm actually, uh, this also sums me up, you know, I've become chairman of Q Leukemia Strategy, uh, charity, sorry. Uh, we were down in London and I was introduced and I said, uh, I'm going to do the London to Paris cycle ride for Q Leukemia. <laughs> My wife says, yeah, I've got a bike. <laughs> you haven't been on a bike for years, but I did it last year. I only did three months training and I struggled up the hills in France particularly. So I'm uh, doing it again in June. There's going to be 150 of us uh, cycling the 300 miles from Greenwich to Paris. Uh, so I'm busy training for cycling at the moment. Uh, and I love watch, watching r- r- rugby. Uh, and actually, some, you know, taking the, our retriever dog for a walk because you can do a lot of thinking when you're walking a dog in the countryside, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, if people want to sponsor you for that uh, bike ride, I guess we can put a link up on the, uh, on the yeah, podcast well, for you. I'll set up a Just Giving page. I haven't done it yet, but I will do. So if you guys have, have enjoyed... three months? Yeah. <laughs> How's the training going? Uh, well, I've only... Well, I've been doing weights, personal trainer, and indoors. I've now got to venture out onto the road, so I've got three months. Fantastic. To go up and down some hills and do some long cycle rides. So the first one couldn't have been that bad then if you're coming back for a second go or you're a sucker for punishment, one or the other. Well, it, it, that's interesting. You go back to personality. I'm either a sucker for punishment, but I want to do it be- better. Okay, sucker for punishment, I want to do it better, but I'm chairman of the charity and the chairman, the CEO and you know the head oncologist of the QE are doing it because we think we should. Absolutely. And it goes back to that other point that we were talking about, doesn't it? That, yeah. Uh, yeah, you need to set that example to be shown and to be enthusiastic about it. So quick question about social media, if that's okay. Are you, yeah. are you a social media guy? Do you spend much time on there? Not really. I, you know, I, uh, I, I do a bit of LinkedIn. Of course you do. Everyone does with business. Uh, I'm on Facebook, but I don't do a lot with Facebook. Uh, I'd probably say something incredibly daft, upset half a million, <laughs> upset half a million people in today's world. Uh, Fantastic, you know. But no, I don't tend to so much. I think you'll say, you can upset half a million people by saying anything these anything days. It, it certainly seems that way, doesn't yeah. it? Do you? So I guess I already know the answer to this one. But do you ever find yourself doom scrolling, and um, that's about absorbing the negativity on on social platforms? No, I don't. No, I don't. Because uh, one, I'm, I do spend time on them. Of course I do. Everyone does. But I think there's, you know, it's just where you think, uh, you know, you, you know, outlook on life. I still think, and it sounds crass, but it's not. I still think uh, all my experiences across the world, I've met a huge, hugely more amount of good people than I have of bad people. And it's very easy to be a bad person when you're not talking to you face to face. Absolutely, hundred percent. You know, uh, so for me, I've met great people all, all all over the world. So why actually would it be different now? Absolutely, I think the the problem with modern day social media is that the the entire world is now accessible to you, yes, and there's no right. there's no comeback on on comments that are made, you know, back in our our day, you know, you say something to someone and you're at risk of being punched. It's it's that simple, isn't it? It, But people don't have that, that comeback or risk now. And they can, they can hurt and offend people without ever having any repercussion to it, which seems crazy. And you used to see that in work, people a lot harder and stronger on email 
than when you're face-to-face in a negotiation. Absolutely. How do you feel about lines of communication? So we talk about email. Um, we have a, a, at Oxbridge, we have a, a, a guide on how to talk to people. I know it sounds crazy, okay. but email comes as the, the bottom option. So, uh, and, and we're just open and honest. If you're going to send someone an email about something, make sure it's sarcastic as possible. And that sets the tone for, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. go and talk to someone, <clears throat> pick up the phone, get face to face with them because you get so much more from it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I suppose, you know, uh, at uh, GMP Group Holdings, where I'm a chairman, the, the owner, is on the south coast, so um, we don't get together so often. So it does; it is by email and by teams, effectively. Sure. But then you get so used to teams, you see people doing their emails or <laughs> yeah. you know, doing yeah. something else. So uh, I've, we're back in the office two or three days a week, and I think that's good. And do you, are you finding that's a good balance? Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Jeff, I think that's probably a good time to wrap up. So uh, we are so grateful for you coming on and and telling us. I feel like we could have talked for hours um, and continued to do so. There's so many um, tips of the iceberg that we've just just touched on there. And I'd love to know more at some point. Yeah, of course. Well, hopefully it makes sense and... It's at least half interesting to people, but uh, I think it's, it is what it is. That's I think what I've been through. It's far more than half interesting. Um, <laughs> okay. I've been enthralled. I've written down lots of things that you said on my paperwork here, um, and I'm going to go mm. and give this some thought as well. So hopefully uh, you as listeners enjoyed this as well. Thank you so much for joining us. I know we've gone slightly over the hour, but I felt that we needed to uh, we needed to talk some more about this uh, as a subject. So um, you can like and subscribe as normal. I think the, the buttons are down here somewhere. And thank you very much. Follow us on social media and we'll see you soon for the next one.